0: To the freak show, fellow freaks.
1: I'm Matthew Brockmeyer,
0: and I'm Krista Carmen,
1: and this is
0: Murder Coaster.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely thrilled to announce the release of Murder Coaster co-host Krista Carmen's novel, Daughters of Block Island. It is a book filled with mystery. Murder, intrigue, ghosts, red herrings, twists and turns, an underground labyrinth of dungeons and tunnels, and a haunted mansion. Everything a murder coaster listener would want in a spooky and gothic tale of crime and deception. It's already being lavished with praise. Booklist calls it a compelling and atmospheric thriller. Kirkus Reviews calls it great fun and Cemetery Dance says the gothic horror novel just received a massive shot of adrenaline to its bleak but beautiful heart and readers will be smiling under candlelight for years to come. An exceptional new talent has arrived. And it's already hit the number one bestseller list on Amazon in a variety of genres. A huge, huge congratulations to you, Krista.
0: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. I I really loved it. Thank you. I can't help but to feel that Daughters of Block Island is a love letter to the Gothic novel. It's just dripping with literary allusions from everyone from Mary Shelley to the Bronte sisters, Ho, Walpole, and Radcliffe, just too many to even list. What is it that draws you to the Gothic novel and how long have you been obsessed with them?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I don't think I realized how obsessed I was with the Gothic novel until I started writing. Um, The first novel that I ever tried to write, I don't know if that's the way, the first novel I ever wrote that's not really fit to for anyone's eyes but mine, <laughs> um, was was so gothic. It was like over the top gothic, um, <clears throat> and it makes its way into tons of my short stories. And then, basically, the three novels, the three finished novels that I've I've written since that first attempt, have all been gothic one way or another. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up reading a wide variety of mostly horror, but definitely dark fiction, thriller, mystery um and i i just always was drawn to like the formula there's something about the formula when the the sum being so much greater than the individual parts in terms of like the decaying gothic castle the damsel in distress that usually like pulls herself together enough to come out triumphant in the end um the the buried secrets and the 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 return of the repressed and the you know, rain drenched, soap. you know, atmospheric, just, I just love all of it. It's, I think, a really good way to describe how much I love it is, like, the movie Crimson Peak. Unfortunately, the story is, like, not really great, but all of the beautiful trappings that are on display in that movie are just, like, like, when I think of gorgeous gothic, I, like, want to live in that movie.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice. Uh, I felt allusions to modern horror as well, like in particular Stephen King's *The Shining*. Instead of a hedge maze, you have a mulberry maze, and I love mulberries, by the way. Yeah, my yes. mouth watering. And <laughs> I couldn't help but to think that Room Two Fifteen in your book was an allusion to Room Two Seventeen, especially with the creepy bathtub.
0: You know. You can't not have as a horror lover, horror writer. You can't not have it in your brain, especially since I got married at the Stanley Hotel and we have wedding pictures outside of, uh, you know, the room. And um, but I couldn't be too on the nose, so yes, very much so. It's like let's just change it up enough a little bit. Um, and what were the other ones you said? Uh, other modern horrors, The Shining. Well, and- I felt
1: um, the narrative structure was a little bit like Psycho. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but
0: you are not the first person to say that. And in this case, I have to admit that that was not intentional. And the I had an interviewer that um, pointed that out to me and I was like, oh, my gosh, it totally is. And I love that movie, too. So, I mean, I guess it's not out of the question that it was like playing on my subconscious.
1: All right. It's all in there in your head somewhere, right? Oh, yes we're 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 standing on the shoulders of other writers even when we don't realize it even when we it's just
0: absolutely 100 percent it's so, kind of fun too when they do pop out out of nowhere and you didn't necessarily plan them
1: totally totally it's subconscious so tell us about the setting in particular Whitehall which was actually a, a real place at one time
0: yes so. Um, I talk a little bit about this in the afterword of the book, um, so I'm tr- I'll try to like include even some additional details so it's not a repeat for anybody that reads that. But I wanted to set a gothic novel in Rhode Island. That was sort of like, I'm going to write a novel and I'm going to set it in Rhode Island, but I want it to be gothic. And originally I was looking at my own hometown because I do live in a very, very much a beach community. And in the winter, It's a totally different place than it is in the summer when it's full of tourists heading down, you know, with their umbrellas poking out of the backs of their cars and um, just a very, like, summertime atmosphere. Uh, But it, my hometown wasn't isolated enough. So I said, if I'm going to do Rhode Island, the most isolated place that I can do is Block Island because it's a a literal island, unlike Rhode Island. (laughs) Um, So... I started looking into Block Island and I was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work because yes, in the winter, Block Island is even more desolate and isolated than like my hometown, but it's so New England-y and not, you know, New England, we've got the Newport mansions in Rhode Island, there's certainly tons of places that capture that gothic feel. But Black Island wasn't really feeling like that to me. It felt too much like the seaside community, you know, nautical theme. And then I discovered Whitehall, which was a real place. It was built in the late 1800s, like 1888, I believe, was when construction on it was begun. And Henry Searles was the person that had it commissioned to be built for him and his new wife. And it was built by a very famous architect. He also worked on the Kellogg House. And it's this crazy awesome, like most Gothic of Gothic mansions. It's it's bilater- bilaterally symmetrical on both sides. And it has this big hall in the middle that separates these two halves. And they were his and her halves. So one member of the marriage, <laughs> one partner had one half and one had the other. Um, and then there's this like, amazing replica of the mansion that was like used as kind of like a bathhouse on the property and this long 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 drive like entryway that's framed with these two huge pillars Uh, and it unfortunately burnt down in the mid 1900s but it just was like such an awesome place that I was like well I am just going to pretend like this did not burn down and use it as the setting because it has everything I need. And I felt it was kind of like the kickstart that I needed just like for my mind to accept that Block Island could have a place like this because it really did that I then it almost just like felt like it gave me the permission to write the novel there because this place had really existed.
1: Yeah, it's a genius move. And well, then, then you I don't have to worry about legal there. issues either. <laughs>
0: right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the there are remains left. There's part of the foundation that you can supposedly still see. I have not seen the foundation. I've, I've, the last time I was at Black Island, I asked about the foundation and I don't know, that might have been years ago that you it doesn't sound actually like there is part of the foundation there used to be. Um but now the only thing that remains are uh kind of fragments of those two entryway pillars.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, And and it's inspired by one of my favorite songs, the Dreadful Wind and Rain, traditionally the Twa Sisters.
0: Yes, I'm so pleased, but not surprised that you've heard of and are a fan of that murder ballad. Um, Yeah, I think it's just kind of one of those like perfect storms where I was brainstorming a new novel, the setting came together, and I am obsessed with Katie Haram, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. She's Mm a... an illustrator this is just amazing artist and illustrator <clears throat> and she has a she illustrated a book called literary witches and like an oracle deck of literary witches and it's it's really cool if you haven't seen it you should check it out um but I was online and I don't know how it happened but essentially like my mother my parents got me a print of hers for my birthday a few years ago And it was a painting inspired by the Twa Sisters. And it's super cool and eerie. You should also check out Katie Horan's, I think it's called the Twa Sisters or the Dreadful Wind and Rain. Um, And I would just like stare at this painting and be so obsessed with it. And then I, you know, I had heard of the murder ballad before and I just went down this rabbit hole of the murder ballad. And I was like, I love the idea of two sisters, like, you know, one wants to drown the other, two-timed by this suitor. Um, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit and use it as some of the inspiration for this story. So, yeah, I love it. I love that you love it.
1: Oh, it's Jerry Garcia did it. He does it all in Murder bell.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. And I, when I was researching, I, I did see a, a bunch of the different covers. And, of course, he is one of the most famous.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm an old deadhead, so. Yep. <laughs> um, You know, one of the things I loved was the Mulberry Maiden. I love Mm -hmm. the legend, the truth about it, that's finally revealed through epistolary and her image. Um, I'm just gonna give the listeners a little taste of her image. So quote, dark tears, darker than blood drip from her eyes. The skin of her cheeks has been sloughed away as if the tears are poisoned. Her hands are full of what looks like entrails. But then you catch the tart scent of mulberries. She wrings her hand and blood red juice drips between her clenched fingers. I I just love it, man, so much. Was was there anything in particular that inspired that ghost? Or did you just come up with that all on your own?
0: You know, I think I came up with it all on my own. I want to say that I made her up myself. I did make her up myself. One of the things that I do tend to do is I saturate myself in like imagery that I want to have in my head when I'm writing. <clears throat> and I did look, bringing back Crimson Peak, I the imagery in Crimson Peak, like those Guillermo del Toro, like red ghosts and the, you know, the, the black twisted, almost like ink tar looking creatures. Um, I think there was some of that in my head. I mean, obvi- I won't, I won't say too much, no spoilers, but obviously the ghost in my novel is like not to that extreme, but I do think those kinds of imagery that those kinds of images were in my head when I was writing her.
1: So cool. So cool. I I also loved the rules to survive a Gothic novel and uh, how the characters are constantly breaking them. Um, How about we go through them and you tell me what books inspired each one?
0: Ah, okay. we'll see if I can
1: rule number one, be wary of opportunistic men.
0: Uh, So Jane Eyre definitely was was that. But there's a ton like that could be maybe any and all. (laughs) But Jane (laughs) Eyre is the first that comes to mind that I definitely remember like rereading before I I finished the writing of this manuscript.
1: You mentioned her a few times or mentioned that book a few times. Uh, Yes, yes. Rule number two, don't go into any dungeons. (laughs) the pit and the pendulum
0: yeah definitely the pit and the pendulum i and i don't that might have been one of the more generic like and maybe the monk i feel like the Mm -hmm. the abbey the monk the not so much a dungeon but like the the basement area of the monk yeah the abbey and the monk
1: rule number three if a storm descends remain in your room (laughs)
0: I don't know. That might definitely be a generic one, too. I don't all of them. <laughs> they, that's it's like... always
1: raining and lightning, right?
0: It, exactly. And like, I went really far with that in my book.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was it was like I don't care. I'm dark. just
0: it is literally going to rain the entire book. I don't care. I'm doing it.
1: I was watching a House of a Thousand Corpses. I know you're a big fan and uh, with Rob yes. Zombie talking over it. Oh, nice. I think I
0: watched he's... that one, too.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And he's like, they're in the in the beginning when they first uh, come into the ha- the house, the uh, firefly yes. firefly house. There's just like nonstop lightning. And he's like, yes. I don't think I really noticed just how much damn lightning I was using. It's almost <laughs> kind of ridiculous.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And I love that that movie, but also that scene is just killer.
1: Yeah, when she takes his glasses from him, yes. I love her. She's so.
0: Me too
1: nice rule four don't have sex with anyone they might be your long lost brother
0: so this is definitely the monk the monk i have a treasured copy of the monk that stephen king wrote the introduction to and i've read it numerous times and uh that one's the monk for sure nice.
1: not gothic horror but i was thinking uh shakespeare's uh the 12th night too
0: that could work too <laughs>
1: <laughs> rule five Stay away from ma- family members in general to avoid the passing down of an ancestral curse.
0: <laughs> so that one I was kind of thinking um Eleanor in Haunting of Hill House and like her mm. very fraught and complicated relationship with her mother. And there's fraught, complicated relationships between daughters and mothers in The Daughters of Black Island.
1: Or uh, maybe that fall of the House of Usher too.
0: And the fall of the House of Usher, yes.
1: Six take your nightmares seriously
0: I <laughs> oh, see I want to say the monk again because it's I know that there's elements of like dream dreams and weaving its way into reality but I feel like there was another inspiration for that one that I'm not re- recalling. yeah the monk works for that fit that puzzle piece <laughs> in there
1: <laughs> beware of anyone with mental health issues. Madness equals murder.
0: That was also Jane Eyre, the mad woman in the attic, but there's plenty of plenty more mad women in the attic to choose from.
1: <laughs> and lastly, rule eight. Treat anything seemingly supernatural with a health, healthy dose of skepticism.
0: So this could be like the Castle of Otranto, the Mysteries of Udolpho, the Monk. I use the monk for so much in terms of like the rules and the structure of the Gothic because the monk has so many different like stories within the story that it captures so many of the rules and all the different like sub genres of the, of the Gothic, like main genre. Um, So I feel like that's like the the best catch all to like get them all in one place. Um, But yeah, the, the supernatural having a real world, explanation is that to me is like a staple and I do think that that's one of the things that modern gothic has sort of rewritten so like you know Anne Rice's interview with the vampire are are considered like a a very much a gothic novel and they have a lot and, and obviously even like the original Stoker's Dracula but to me like it's definitely gothic, but like the gothic that I was using as like the framework to write this book is that is that it's a little bit more like the romantic gothic, like the damsel in distress. Um, when it's like soup, when there's an actual supernatural element, that to me feels like a a sort of mildly different line of the gothic, if that makes any sense. It's oh, like they're all related, but this is like a different uh, a different <clears throat> lineage
1: well your novel's very old school like well yeah. i mean it's set in the modern times but um i feel like you know it felt like the, like withering heights or something like that yes you know, yep
0: good i'm glad that was what i was going for
1: <laughs> did you did i i believe i read somewhere i think it was in your afterward you said um you originally did try to set it in a uh in a past time or did i just get that out of nowhere i don't know <laughs>
0: um when was it was originally a
1: short story or something was it always present day no
0: i did always have it in the present tense i okay. think i talked about like playing with <clears throat> i was confused when i started as to how to make it new like putting all of those gothic elements into it was starting to feel really trite so that's one why i spun it like metagothic um if that answers like i've I never wanted to go full, like, in the past novel. But even writing it modern, using all those tactics from the past past novels felt like it wasn't enough to make it different. And then I was like, oh, we'll just make it meta. And Blake can think she's in a gothic novel. And then characters can use that that belief of hers to exploit her.
1: Right. The orphan returning to her ancestral castle to find her... uh... The secrets of her past. Indeed. So cool. I get to
0: the bottom of those secrets.
1: <laughs> and we do. And so um, I heard from a little bird whispering in my ear that you have another novel that you've just finishing. You care to tell us anything about that?
0: Sure. Absolutely. So <clears throat> the next novel is called Beneath the Poet's House. And it is also set in Rhode Island. It is also a modern day haunting that has elements of the past coming back to to affect these modern day players. Uh, so essentially, it is set in Providence. <clears throat> excuse me, on at eighty eight Benefit Street, which is the real home, real life home of the. Excuse me the real-life former home of Sarah Helen Whitman, who was the one-time fiancé of Edgar Allan Poe. So Sarah mm-hmm. Helen Whitman and Edgar Allan Poe, it's sort of like a residual haunting is taking place in at 88 Benefit Street with the new tenant and a certain novelist that she starts having a relationship with and how the past comes into play in the present.
1: Oh, wow. Sounds awesome. Thanks. Can't wait. So, you know, when you read this book, it's just obvious that this is a writer who is dedicated to her craft. And just to let listeners know, uh, we met many years ago in a writer's workshop hosted by Peter Straub. And I could just see right away how gifted you were. You're a lover of literature. You know, you studied hard. You got your MFA. And it's just been such a joy to see you climbing the ladder putting out short stories, getting awarded, being nominated for a stoker, putting all this hard work and passion into your craft, all culminating into this wonderful novel, and you've really just earned your success, which is a huge congratulations.
0: Well, thank you so much, but I have to say that the same can be said for you with (laughs) phenomenal short story collections to your name and a gorgeous novel and, but yes we absolutely bonded in 2017 over our love of true crime essentially because i was working on it. we were both working on novels that were like fiction disguised as true crime and and our interest in charles manson so
1: charlie manson brought us together That's yeah right. <laughs> and that is a relationship <laughs> that is bound to last come on now oh gosh <laughs> ladies and gentlemen krista carmen Her novel, Daughters of Block Island, is available everywhere. You get fine books. Go get yourself a copy. Give it a read. You're guaranteed a spooky and thrilling good time. I'll put an Amazon link in the show notes.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.